Redbox Media Programming is brought to you by... We've got good news. The world is open again, and people like you, people of faith, are traveling to Catholic sites around the world. Want to travel with exceptional Catholic leaders this fall, next year, or in the future? Are you looking to see specific sites, celebrate traditional Latin Mass, or travel to destinations without vaccine requirements? We are here to help you deepen your faith on pilgrimage. Give us a call at 1-800-842-4842 or visit us online at selectinternationaltours.com. Select International Tours is your pilgrimage company, and we have the perfect Catholic trip for you. Are you looking to serve God and society? Consider putting your gifts to work as a lawyer. Ave Maria School of Law has been educating faith-filled lawyers for over 20 years. Ave Maria School of Law is committed to training lawyers to use law appropriately around the moral issues of our time. Visit AveMariaLaw.edu to learn more about integrating your faith with a law degree. Welcome to the Will Within Podcast. This is your home for shared stories of hope, perseverance, will, and inspiration. Join us today as we share another story that brings to life the underlying beat of our lives. Consider us your virtual friends. Let's get inspired. Welcome to the Will Within Podcast, The Chosen Edition, and I'm your host, Regina Pontus. I want to thank you so much for tuning in and listening to me. I'm going to be sharing with you today a conversation I had with a gentleman by the name of David Eves. He's actually the brother of Daryl Eves. I actually heard about David's story when I was watching the Teal Tuesday that Daryl had for The Chosen back right before Christmas. My apologies for posting this a bit late, but I had some medical issues, so I hope you don't mind this, but it's a great conversation. We talked about the situation that he had and how he overcame all of his adversities. So I want to thank Daryl for bringing it to my attention so I could talk to him, because David's story truly exemplifies what the will within is all about, stories of hope, will, perseverance, and inspiration and he is a wonderful example. So without any further ado, my conversation with David. Welcome, David. I'm so excited to have you here today. I was very taken when I was watching the Teal uh, Marathon that your brother and the Chosen did. And I was so, I was floored when he started talking about you. Your brother is just so in awe of you. And I said, I've got to talk to this guy. So I think it's a wonderful thing that you are able to talk to me and, and share your story. I thank you very much for doing this. My pleasure. So let's talk about first your upbringing, grew up and what kind of environment you grew up in, brothers and siblings, and then we'll go on to your situation. All right. Well, I'm uh, one of 10 children, so there's, there's a few of us around. Um, grew up uh, with amazing parents. Grew up kind of in a farm setting. We had to milk cows, throw hay, you know do all that kind of farm stuff. My dad was a very big proponent of teaching all of his children how to work and work hard. And we all kind of gained that through through him and, and what he had us do. Uh, grew up in a small town. Is that uh, in Utah? Yes, in oh. southern Utah. Yep. Yeah. 
grew up in uh, southern Utah. And it was just a great place to grow up. Uh, all of our cousins were around. We had lots of family around. You know, it's kind of a small rural setting. It was a tremendous uh, place to grow up and then the setting to grow up. What kind of faith base did you have? Oh, uh, we are members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Okay, and great. we grew up in that uh, in that religion and background. We're all pretty strong in our our, our belief and faith. That's and, wonderful. And, mm-hmm. Because that's when we start talking about the situation that you had to endure, I'm believing it's going to be a tremendous component to your story. Well, I... Uh, was a pretty shy child. Uh, I was child number eight, so you stay okay, quiet you and stay alive. So I was pretty shy, um, kind of just observed and didn't yeah. uh, didn't make waves, kind of was what I was. But one of the areas I was able to kind of find some confidence and find some identity at a young age was I excelled at athletes. I'm at uh, athletics. I'm actually the tallest of my brothers. I'm six foot three. Okay. And um, I, I was big, even as a little kid, I was big for my age, um, tall for my age. And I wasn't particularly talented athlete at the beginning. Daryl was, uh, of all the brothers, Daryl was probably the most naturally gifted athlete in our family. But um, I worked, what's that? Where does he fall in relationship to you? The center of you, right? Yes. Um, He's number six. Okay. uh, Okay. Number five. Sorry. Number five. Yeah. So uh, he's, we have a little bit of an age gap is about six, Six years, I think, between us. So I, I found identity in, in some athletics. I was able to work hard, and that was the thing nobody would really outwork me. And so what I lacked in natural ability, I, I made up for in hard work. And it, you know, kind of with everything, when you work hard at something, you get better at it, and so on. And so I really thrived in athletics and kind of found my identity. That was kind of I was shy, but I, I was you know very outgoing with athletics and. Um, I was playing in a football game uh, when I was 16 years old the night before. Uh, and then the next day we went on a, a homecoming date. We went up into the mountains. A, a buddy of mine had a cabin. There was about 30 of us. And we all took our dates up there. And I was on the back of a four-wheeler. And the person driving lost control. And it launched me off about 20-something feet. And I hit a tree. And it kind of snapped me in half. And so it left me paralyzed from just underneath my arms down, just underneath my, my, my upper chest down. And uh, when I first came to, the first thing I said was just like they do in the movies, I, I can't feel my legs. And I started freaking out pretty bad. And I was in intense pain. And we were in a pretty rural spot. So it took the ambulance two and a half hours to get there. Oh and it was it was pretty rough. Um, so that's that left, you know, that left a, a kind of a hole in in what I was, you know, because I wasn't an athlete anymore. I was some guy in a wheelchair kind of now. And at, at a young age, at 16, I, I still wasn't what I was yet. And so it kind of caused me to shift my mind and shift my where my life was going to go. And I could, you know, I, I literally couldn't, you know, slam a basketball or do those other things that, that I could before. And uh, so it was kind of a it was a it was an opportunity for a, a shift. Let me tell you, you when I heard the story, it reminded me. I don't know if you know the name of the individual, but it was the the paperwork that, that I sent you before. It talked about a gentleman by the name of Charles Krauthammer. Do you know that name? Yes, I I, I only know a little bit. I don't. I, didn't, I haven't read any of his books, but I he, follow he, politics. Yeah, about I, his story is absolutely amazing. He at twenty he was going to Harvard, and he decided one day him and his buddy it was too hot. They were going to skip class. So, but they went and they they jumped in the pool, but there wasn't enough water. 
And so when oh. he hit the ground, he realized, okay, there it is. My, I'm, I'm dying because now I'm underwater and I just broke my neck. And But they were able to fish him out, and um, they brought him to Mass General. And what, what an inspiring story because he was lying in the bed completely quadriplegic. And because he didn't want to miss school and have his studies missed, he had the doctors and nurses hang loose sight from the ceiling, and he would study. He would read the books, and they would come in every so often and turn the pages. And he continued with his education through that way. And he ended up getting his education. He ended up becoming very vibrant in the community. He was supposed to be a doctor. He decided against it. Went into journalism, Washington Post, then went into political journalism, and then working with candidates on both sides of the aisles, right? And mm-hmm. he just, you you would see him in debates. He was very prolific, and you would never even know that he was a, hurt, a person that was a quadriplegic. He, it was so funny because he knew the exact timing how to get. He was a baseball fanatic. He had the six timing to get from the studio to the baseball field so he could see with the season tickets. And it showed him driving the car. And he had a special wigged out car. It looked like um, a Star Wars thing because his hands didn't move as well as uh-huh. his legs. And he would just be able to pull his wheelchair in and drive himself and the guests to the park. And they were like in awe whenever they saw him do that. So he led a very, very, very vibrant life. And it's wonderful that, like him, you are able to capture different elements of yourself and bring those to the fore when you thought, I'm sure, when you were lying in the hospital bed, what's going to happen to me now? Yeah. You know, my, yeah, that's funny. Like I didn't know that part. It's, it's actually kind of another parallel. I mean, he's way more intelligent and prolific than I am. <laughs> but uh, I was actually going to be a doctor, too, before there this happened go. to me. And I, I changed my mind in a quick hurry after I was in the hospital as long as I was. So. Well, get things, get the book, The Things That Matter. When I, yeah, I will. I sent you... Um, my book, and one of the things, when I got my AFO from Hanger, I, when they were going to call me in one day to get it, and they said, we want you to meet this gentleman, because he was getting in and out of his car. I'm actually hemiplegic, meaning the left side of my body doesn't work, okay? okay. Where quadriplegic, um, where paraplegic is the bottom part. And watching him, <laughs> I didn't even met him yet, but I saw this man pull up, and he did exactly what you showed on one of your videos where he just kind of broke down the wheelchair and he just came in and just chatted and then went out and broke it all down and got in the car and left. I was looking at him amazing. I'm like, God, I wish I could do that because one of my arms doesn't work, right? But then yeah. I bumped into him about two weeks afterwards when I was at the hospital again. And I was like, you were mesmerizing to watch. He goes, really? It just became so second nature to him. He was a great doctor. He was wonderful too. So if you ever want a second career, <laughs> second part of your life, consider that. You know, he was yeah. great. He was great. So tell me a bit about the emotional elements of what you went through. How long were you in the hospital? How did you physically try to overcome with the hurdles and, and what milestones? Because you did go to school. So let's talk yeah. about that. Uh, so I, as I mentioned, I, it happened when I was 16, and I actually turned 17 in the hospital. I say that's my 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 not my awesome birthday, okay. but. I was in the hospital for three months and I had a lot of other things going on. As I mentioned, I was six foot three and I weigh, I wasn't really large, but I was about 170. Mm-hmm. And I had some issues uh, due to my paralysis that caused me to, uh, to vomit a lot. And so I got down to a hundred pounds. My pancreas was like producing way too much stomach bile. So my stomach would just fill up till it couldn't hold anymore. And then I would throw up and 
So I got down to a hundred pounds and almost died from that. And then they kind of got that figured out. And then we started, you know, feeling better and, and How long seeing... were you like that, back and forth like that? Oh, probably two months. It was awful. <laughs> I didn't eat, I didn't eat anything for probably six, seven weeks just because I just was sick all the time and nothing just sounded good. I actually had holes that actually burned through my throat um, because of the acid I'd eaten kind of through. That's how much I was, I was uh, throwing up. And then they finally, finally figure put, out what it was. What's that? How did they finally figure out what it was? They really didn't. They said this shouldn't happen. That's what they kept saying. And um, what they ended up doing is uh, they ended up putting a, an NG tube up my nose. So I wasn't at least throwing it up anymore. And then they actually later did a surgery on my stomach where they put the NG tube into the stomach and they would suck the bile out with that. And then they had another tube inside that tube that went all the way down to my intestines. And then they fed me through that. And then once I actually started getting nourishment again, I think my body kind of figured out what was going on and um, was able to gain some weight back. But I was pretty close to pushing daisies. Oh my God. So I was in there for uh, three months and then. I actually had a pretty good attitude. I'm a pretty positive person, even before pretty upbeat. I'd probably get it from my mom more than anything, but uh, I, I was not what I wanted to have happen, but I was thinking, well, at least I'm still alive and, you know, and can, can do something. I didn't really know what it was, but uh, I got home. Were senior at that time? Let's no, a junior, junior. Yeah. Junior. Okay, so right. when I got home, I still remember all my friends had come to my house and, you know, I had two, 300 kids there and, I just remember being terrified and just telling my dad to keep driving. I didn't want to get out because it was just weird. I was, you know, I was in a wheelchair, had tubes hanging out of my body, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And it was just like I was back in my normal environment, but it felt really foreign because of my new challenge. And so I, I did pretty good. My dad, uh, my dad, and my I mean, my parents and my faith, you know, are the things that, that got me through it. But my parents, they really, they really excelled. We've had some other trauma. We have another brother that passed away and some other uh, accidents and things in our family. And my parents kind of knew like how to get through that is, you, you know, you rely on God and then you, you get to work. And mm -hmm. so uh, I remember specifically when I was home, I, could, I couldn't even dress myself. I could barely feed myself because I was still so weak from losing all that muscle. And uh, my, one of my friends was asking me, hey, when do you think you're going to come back to school? And it was around November. And I said, oh, probably next quarter, probably January. And I got home on a Friday and my dad was over overhearing and he had mentioned, uh, he kind of leaned in and said, uh, he'll be back to school on Monday. I was no like, way. I know. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. And that was the hardest thing to do. But yeah, he dropped me off at school. I can still remember him. He opened the door with one hand and shoved me in the back. So I wheeled him. <laughs> and he said, I'll pick you up at three. And so uh, it was, it was so hard. And, and he, he didn't tell me this till later, but he said that was the hardest thing he's ever done in life. He said he made it to the four-way stop around the corner, pulled over and just started crying like a little baby. Cause he, I, he didn't want to do that, but he knew that was the best thing to get me back in that environment and kind of a sink or swim thing. So, so I was back in that environment and then kind of where that my biggest hurdle and my biggest business uh, emotional situation was, as I mentioned, I was an athlete and um, I'd been back to school for about a week and a half or two weeks. And it was our first homecoming. It was our first home basketball game. And I had another brother drive me there and drop me off so I could see my friends play. And I made it to halftime. And I'm, I just told my brother, I went and found him. I said, you got to take me home. I can't do this. You know? And so he took me home, turned around and went back to the game. And I wheeled around to the back of our parents' house up the ramp and into my room. And 
I turned off all the lights in my room. I, you know, closed my door and I cried. I cried like I'd never cried before. And I was angry and I was mad and I just was feeling all kinds of emotions. And this wasn't fair. This, you know, I wasn't supposed to be in a wheelchair. I was supposed to be out there playing with my friends and just felt like a, just an immense uh, despair and just anger and just everything kind of just, your life is never going to be the same. You're never going to have what you thought you were going to have. And so it just kind of all hit me. And at 17, that was a pretty heavy load. And it was kind of, I cried, <laughs> it was a long time. I cried probably for a couple hours or whatever. I mean, maybe not that long. I, did, I kind of lost sense of time. But then I, I had a moment of calm where I couldn't cry anymore, took a deep breath, and uh, a thought came to my mind. And uh, the thought that came to my mind, it was almost like even a voice. It wasn't a voice, but it was almost like a voice. It was, it was that clear. And I was just sitting there in the dark, and it said, you can let this destroy you, or you can be happy. The choice is yours. Have you ever heard of something called the locution? I haven't. Okay, a locution is when you have an internal message or internal sense of what's being. And okay. usually that's the voice of God or talking to you and saying to you. Like, oh, for instance, when my brother died, my mother had a locution. She had an internal essence of saying he has met his passion. Mm -hmm. She heard that sense. And it wasn't until a couple of hours later that she found out that he was dead. But she kind of already sensed it. Mm -hmm. It was out of the blue. So, yeah. but that's what a locution is. And, and also when you were talking about crying, I was thinking about at a very young age, which is so sad, but it almost sounds like you had what's called a moment of the dark night of the soul. The dark night of the soul is feeling, feeling of complete abandonment by God and not understanding what your purpose is. And it feels like that's exactly what you had. So it, it sounds like it's amazing that you were able to internalize that take it, listen to it, digest it, and and find another vision and purpose of where you should be going. Yeah, I think it's great. Yeah. It's 17, by the way, 17. Yeah. That, what was I doing uh, at 17? That gives definite, I mean, what you expressed is definitely what it was. Like, that gives word, like a word to it. And, uh, but yeah, that's, that kind of was, and it's really was the turning point for me after then, because I, I, I've never been one to walk away from a challenge. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm a kind of get my hands dirty and get to work kind of kid. And uh, I remember just wiping my tears and I said, I'm done with this. I don't know right. what my new life's going to be, but I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to let it destroy me. I'm going right. to be happy. And right. I don't know what that looks like or where that goes. And that was really the turning point. And there was lots of other challenging times, mm -hmm. but nothing as dark and nothing as visceral is, is that experience. And, you know, through the grace of God and, and, and listening to that, I think that that's, you know, really allowed me to have a really good life and uh, really not let that define me or, or hold me back from anything. Because you know what to fall back on now. You know that you've heard that essence of being within mm -hmm. you. You know what I mean? You've heard God calling you, and that is the amazing thing. Look up those two terms, two thirds. Yeah, I, might have gotten them, I might not have gotten them exactly correctly, but you get the just them. Okay? That'd be great. Yeah, I, I think you really, really would like it. So let's talk about, only because it's Chosen related, as we say, with um, your brother. Let's talk about the chosen and how that has helped you. If you have found yourself related or you can relate to any one of the characters, 
in the show, one of the apostles, something, every, everything, everybody finds something different that they're touching yeah. in that show. Well, so what was your off, touching moment if you watch it? Maybe yeah. you don't watch it, who knows? No, no, I now. do, I do. I'm, I'm a super fan too. So first off, what, what Daryl and, and Dallas have achieved is just amazing. I, I've never met Dallas. Um, I've, I, you know, I've, I watch it. I'm a fan of the show, but I haven't like been in that world or anything, but what they've achieved is, is phenomenal. And what I love about it is it, it, it enlarges the tent. Like we all, sure. we all have Jesus as our savior. And sure. I love, I love that they, it's not exclusionary. It's not like, Hey, you can't, that that's not your Jesus. That's my Jesus. No, it's Jesus is everybody's Jesus. And sure. I don't know. I don't know if I'm articulating it right, but I think that like that show it helps people with their relationship with Jesus wherever they're at, because we're all in different planes, right? And then secondly, it enlarges the tent where Jesus is the savior of all. He's not going to say, I'm not I'm the savior of you and not you. He's the savior of all. And it's yep. just whether we turn to him, right? So I love, like, I think that's what I love the most about the show is it, it gets people an opportunity to, to find him um, and, and, and to know him because he knows us. And it's just us not knowing him. And so I, I'm super excited. And, and if that's, it's a miracle, like mm-hmm. what they've, uh, you know, what they've gone through and what they've achieved to uh, have this come to pass and, you know, and being tools in God's hands and, and bringing this to pass. So I first have to say that. So like, that's kind of, um, I'm, I'm a fan and, you know, Daryl's amazing. Uh, everything that he does, he kind of has that passion and, and he's just amazing. But going back to your other question, I kind of relate to Matthew a lot. I'm kind of a watcher and an observer and, you know, kind of quiet, like, as I mentioned, cause I'm child number eight kind of thing. But um, I do, I, I kind of a view to that a little bit, but then also some of Peter where when I'm in, I'm all in and it doesn't matter. I'm all in. So that is pretty cool. I never thought about blending the two. Yeah. And not, not the two you would think, think, right? <laughs> yeah. With all the cancers and everything, I'm, I, I found myself, like, when I used to actually, uh, tour cantering and singing for different mm-hmm. archdiocese within Los Angeles and Boston. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking to myself when I saw the scene of Nathaniel under the tree, Nathaniel, right? Mm-hmm. And did I get the right one? I was thinking, oh my God, I resonate with you so much. So it's true. Everybody that sees this, I've got a friend of mine who I turned on to, I, who I started having watch it, and she is obsessed now. She's not even religious. She yeah. loves the show. It's yeah. ecumenical in its nature. I love the fact that Dallas allows the Holy Spirit to speak to him. Like he said, you're the five loaves and fishes, you know? Yeah. Two fish. So, and that's exactly what it's about. Don't stop proselytizing people. Just be an ecumenical source. Yeah. That's why he's well, got that group of people. There was a talk show. There was a show on the radio when I was a kid. I was like five or six. Mm-hmm. Before I get ready to go to Mass every Sunday. Everybody else was sleeping, so I'd be the only one up and watching it. it. It was a radio show called Talking Religion, and it had a priest, it had a Protestant minister, and it had a, and they had a rabbi, and it was just a facilitator on it. And it was the greatest show. I remember loving it yeah. even back then. See, we've lost that element, which is so sad. I hate tribalism. I hate yeah. the tribalism talk. So I love the fact that the comments that you're making, it's it's perfect. Yeah. It's perfect the way it's presented. Some of my closest itself. friends, like they're of different faiths, and what I love is like they know me and I know them, and we can we can like what you that show you talk. We have talks like that all the time. Like I've right. I've went to mass with one of my friends quite a few times, and I have another one that's Greek Orthodox, and we have all these like questions, and it's just it's all from a place of love and respect, and it's just like it's a safe it's a safe thing, but it's so it's so 
uplifting to learn more about them and what that makes them tick because we all, you know, with that background, we all have like, that's part of us. Right. And uh, there's, there's good, there's good in just about any place. That's kind of inherently that way, I think. So I, 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 I like that you like that. That's kind of my, my thing thing. Is, yeah, we're on the same like, way. <laughs> I, I love to hear other people's ideas and where yeah. they're coming from and, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. So. Well, let's talk a little bit because time is running fast and I want to talk to you about what you're doing now. I, you're married and you yes. have a beautiful baby, I understand. And his name is what? Lincoln. Yeah, Lincoln. Lincoln. So he's 15. So he's... 15. He's I thought he was two or three. No, no. So Daryl's youngest is uh, three days older than my son. So they're almost like twins together. They're, oh, okay. they're, they're all over yeah. you know, the place together. But um, yeah, he's, he's 15. He's learning how to drive and his mom's... Uh, mom's uh teaching him I, I i go out with him sometimes but uh, she's she's a lot better teacher than i am i think with the driving so i uh, they he's out there with his learner's permit both uh he and bridger that's daryl's youngest is bridger mm-hmm. but so yeah so he's 15 he's they're both uh sophomores in high school and uh my wife she's amazing she's actually a school teacher she's taught for oh geez probably 17 years now 16 17 years so did you meet her in school Yes, we met at Dixie State College. We met uh, at at our undergraduate at college. It's in St. George, so it's in the southern end of the state. Uh, It's called Utah. They just changed the name. They didn't like the, uh, some people didn't like the Dixie name, so they changed it. I think it's Utah Tech now or something like that. That's interesting. So you ended up getting your MBA, which is good. So what are Mm -hmm. you doing now and where are you seeing yourself in five years? Well, right now I do uh, SQL coding, SQL coding, which is like database coding. Um, it, it works out good for me because I'm pretty introverted. So like, I, I do okay, you know, just in front of my computer all day. But yeah. um, I do that. And then for the last probably six, seven years, I've been well, a little bit longer, about eight years. I've been heavily um, involved in investing in the stock market and real estate development. And I own some buildings and so like I kind of see myself going more that way. I like the freedom that that allows. Um, and so I've done a lot of just investing. I've done some projects with Daryl and some other people, but probably just in the next five years, continue to grow that and go more in the, you know, the hard money loans and real yeah. estate um, development. Yeah. And that's the, that's the way I've been kind of shifted in the last three or four do years. I do. I haven't as much lately. Like I used to, um, probably about 10 years ago, I was speaking, you know, 10, 15 times, 20 times a year. Um, and this last year, I've, I'm actually speaking uh, in a week to a group of educators up at uh, uh, Southern Utah University. But I haven't spoke, I, I think since COVID, I haven't really spoke much since then. And it's kind of funny because I'm, Daryl's an amazing speaker and I, I do okay, but I'm not Daryl. <laughs> But I'm pretty shy and, and I really wouldn't want to do that. But I feel like that's part of the good that would come from my accidents and my, you know, my situation is I think people tend, what I've noticed is when they see me, they tend to listen a little bit more closely and of what I'm saying. And so maybe I'm not as dynamic, but if you can get people to listen, then they can take that message and kind of apply it to their, their own life. And so that's, yeah, I haven't spoken a lot recently but yeah I've, I've you know quite a over that so I've been paralyzed now for um 20 almost 26 years 25 years mm-hmm. and uh so I mean I've spoken a lot of time like lots and lots and lots of times and so it's it's been a a good path um like I said I'm kind of shy but it's uh 
fun. I always, if I'm asked and I'm able to, I always do it just because I think that there's some lots of good that will come from it. So I also enjoyed looking at your YouTube. You only have oh. a few things there, but I was like, oh, wow, this looks yeah. really good. It answered some questions that I never thought I'd ask. You know what I mean? Yeah. About the whole the brace thing. I saw another woman putting on the same thing and walking around, and due to the health insurance that they have up in Canada and the medical things, she somebody in the United States had to donate their used one in order oh, nice. for her to be able to walk. So really it's amazing. We all have to look out for each other. Yeah. Whenever somebody else doesn't have the means or the ability, if we can do that, we can help them along. You know. So before we hang up, last couple of minutes, what's your mantra? My mantra is probably look for the good. Like you see you you see what you look for. Because in life I think we all have our we all have our peaks and our valleys and there's beauty in both places. And you know, I'm not naive and sticking my head in the ground and you know, rose colored glasses kind of thing, but kind of am because you know, God has beauty everywhere and there's good everywhere. And it's just kind of where our focus is. And there's bad and other things everywhere too. But I tend to focus for the good and look on the positive, you know, so I kind of see what you look for and I look for the good. So well, I think I that's know Daryl was calling you a rock star in, in his uh, Jackson. His associate oh. <laughs> was calling you a rock star and you were. You are. Thank you so much for doing this today. This has been amazing. Is there My a place pleasure. that people can contact you or are you still doing the website? Did you like people to go to read about you or what? Uh, no, I've actually so, taken that down. Um, I ha- I've, like I said, I've kind of shifted uh, another way, but uh, yeah. I, well, I, I don't. That's fine. Thank you so much for sharing this with me. I really, really do appreciate it. And I'll well, give you it's a pleasure speaking with you and I wish yeah. you the best. David, thank you so much again. And you have a blessed day. You do the same. Thank okay, you. Okay, bye. Bye-bye. Many thanks to David for taking the time to talk to me out of his busy schedule. I know that he had a very difficult situation to overcome, but boy, is he amazing, huh? All the things he went through, and he was able to persevere and show us an example of, of what life can offer you. So, David, thank you so much, and thanks to Daryl for bringing it to my attention. So, thanks again. And if you are a fan of The Chosen and you would also like to share your story, please feel free to do so. You can email me at the podcast at gmail.com. So, again, that's the podcast at gmail.com. And I'll be happy to talk to you and you can share your story with us as well. We all have to go through life together and I think oh, this is a wonderful avenue to be able to do it. So thanks again for listening and until next time, my Will Within family, be blessed. Mm-hmm.